Alright, welcome to the Pilgrim Song episode 13. Well, this is kind of the rebranded Pilgrim Song. We have a officially, Charlie's been named our co-host. Exciting times. Oh yeah. How you doing, Charlie? <laughs> uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling great. I appreciate the opportunity to get to be on it and um glad that hopefully, you know, you and I can work together on this and better ourselves and maybe introduce some new ideas or old ideas in a new way to our listeners and just try to continue on this journey together. Yeah, dude. I and I've been super excited. A lot of we've had a lot of really good positive feedback to particularly the giving sermon that giving sermon podcast that you introduced. <laughs> uh, yeah. but also the global masculinity. People really like that one. So good. we appreciate y'all listening and we appreciate having Charlie here. So welcome to the Pilgrim Song with Alexander and Charlie now, actually. <laughs> um so this episode we want to talk a little bit about our favorite person probably in the universe, Jesus. He's a pretty great guy. Um, so, but to begin, you don't have social media, do you? I don't. Yeah. No. Um, so that's, I know, kind of a weird thing is that everyone has social media nowadays, but I, I never have. It's not like, <clears throat> I know a lot of people are kind of joining the movement now, like deleting <laughs> theirs, um, which I think is fantastic if you want to do that. But I, yeah, um, to be honest, it started out of not the best intentions of not having it. There was someone that I had a crush on in high school that wasn't allowed to get social, get Facebook. And I was like, hey, I'm not going to get one either because, you know, yeah, I want to be a nice person. Uh, and then it just kind of slowly turned into watching all of my friends have it and the drama that ensued because of it and just all the different things that were going on being said. And it just I feel like it's just getting worse. Um, so now it's just, yeah, I just don't really see much of a point. I understand there is good sides of social media and there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, my wife has all the social media stuff, which Mm -hmm. is fine. I don't have an issue. If you have social media, I have no problem with that at all. You do you. Um, but yeah, that's just something that I've never really wanted to take part in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's understandable. Social media is just completely full of usually hot takes because no one, very few people think through the entirety of what they're going to post unless you have like a genuine idea like this is what I'm going to put out there for the world to see and in a lot of ways cannot be removed. Um, so because Charlie doesn't have social media, I'm assuming that he doesn't know about TikTok Reverend Brandon Rogerson. I don't no, know. can't say no. that I do. <laughs> and neither did I. I had, I had a friend of mine send, it to, send uh, his TikToks to me. Because I don't have TikTok, but in this uh, this reverend, which already starts off on a bad foot for me, I think if any man refers to himself as reverend, that's that's not good. Uh, but he talks about that Jesus never actually. He made the claim that Jesus never actually wanted people to worship him. He just wanted people to follow him. Um, he was just looking for a followers and people were going like this made the rounds, just like a lot of his TikToks have a ton of likes and a ton of shares, because this is what genuinely people think about Jesus now that uh, he, he's either not God or I mean, there are just plenty of things. The reality is that Jesus is probably the most polarizing person in history. Yeah, the, I, would, the, I would agree. With that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of divisiveness around yeah who jesus was and just like in the religious world we have different interpretations of who jesus is um uh, muslims believe particularly that he 
was a great prophet and a perfect man, but he wasn't actually God, um, and that he wasn't actually crucified. We have people who deny that there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that are one being, but three different persons, which is a very complicated idea, um, but I do think it's one that's revealed in Scripture. So rather they think that he's the, that they're the same person, so they switch modes, and it's called modalism, which was condemned as a heresy pretty early in Christian faith. We also have people like the Latter-day Saints and the Jehovah's Witnesses who lean more towards that Jesus is a created being, that he is um, he's still at least some form of like deity, uh, particularly to the Latter-day Saints. He's still God, but the um, Jehovah's Witnesses particularly say that he is not God at all. He might be just a greater angel or something like that. Um, but... <clears throat> Without going into all that depth, people have just a ton of opinions about who Jesus is. And it only goes deeper once you leave the religious world and go into the secular world where people are now, I can't even believe it, but denying that Jesus even existed. Like, just flat out don't believe he's a real person. Um, that, that he was a myth, that he was made up, that he was just a good person and not the Messiah. So... Basically, in this podcast, I want to talk about, well, we want to talk about Jesus and who he really is, who is the actual Jesus of both history and what we, how we've come to know him, um, and ultimately his crucifixion and resurrection, what that means for us. So, really quickly, we want to start off by talking about the historical evidence that we have for Jesus. And I think this would be very surprising for a lot of people who come in with the presupposition that Jesus was made up. He was a myth. Therefore, we don't actually have anything about him. So here we go. I, you, you see this in the script. So the posed question to you is, have you, have you heard about Hannibal coming in on these elephants to sack Rome? They're coming across the Alps. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty famous story of the end of the Roman Empire. Something oh, yeah. that no one was ever able to do that was finally done by someone. Yeah. I lo- I have a meme page, and they make jokes about it all the time on there. So, <laughs> so you can tell the type of person I am. Um, but he said, but, you know, how many sources do you think about that we have about Hannibal crossing the Alps? Yeah, you would think of a event that's that, that, that's that large and big and um, impactful on history. You'd think it would be, you know, a lot, like mm-hmm. a lot of different writers especially roman historians and uh would have probably kept pretty good records about that event happening you think you would think but we have one source like that is an incredible event and we have one source and we've just taken that as the gospel truth that 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 happened and that's how rome fell um so i think that's really interesting well, you, you also brought up something about Alexander the great yeah right? that's like you know the thing about ancient history uh is it's studied a lot, but with almost all that, you know, you think like, oh, wow, there's only one source in that. That's the majority of ancient history is it comes from one source, specifically um, with people like Alexander the Great. A lot of the stories that we know about him come from single source, um, most of which were written a long time after Alexander the Great died, mm-hmm. like a thousand years after Alexander the Great died is when a lot of our historical records of not just him, but a lot of people like him were written down and accounted for. And once again, you know, we take those things for truth. Uh, we learn about them in our history classes and, and we believe them because that's that's what we have. 
um, even though there's not much about it that we actually know. And, and that's one thing that I wasn't taught, at least in high school, was yeah. all this stuff that we're learning about ancient history, we don't actually really know is true. Most of the stuff that we have is single origin or was written a long time after. So, yeah. so it was eye-opening when yeah. I started to figure all that out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's plenty of things that we just don't know, and we have to take on faith. Like, I, I take what we have about Alexander the Great, and I, I think it's truthful. I don't think people are really lying about it. Yeah. Um, but, so, yeah. But that, that also means that I take it the same way when people talk about Jesus. And surprisingly, we have more sources about Jesus, and particularly manuscript evidence outside of the Bible. Um, for Jesus, we have more of that than a lot of these ancient figures, even more than Pontius Pilate. And, and so it's pretty incredible when we think about it. Um, <clears throat> so um, we're going to go and walk through a couple of these. And we're two sources that we're using today are The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which is a great book. Um, if you have not read it, highly recommend it. I'm also using Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. And this book is also really good if you haven't had the chance to read it. But starting in... J. Warner Wallace's book, uh, we have an account that comes from Josephus. And Josephus was a Jewish, Jewish last, but he wrote history for the Romans. So he was a traitor, essentially, to his own people. But he also had kind of a disregard, didn't like Jesus very much, because naturally uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. But uh, in, in his writing, he talked about, you know, about Jesus. He says, at this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to, to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Now, as far as we understand about Josephus, he didn't actually believe that Christ was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, we consider him an enemy of the Messiah. But the fact that he spoke about him, and not just about him, his crucifixion under Pontius Pilate, and the claim that he was resurrected just three days after, that is the basis of the gospel, the basis of what we've thrown our lives into. So just to have that in writing is a pretty incredible um, <clears throat> feat. Yeah. Uh, and you, do you have anything to say? Yeah, no, so the thing about Jewish culture in general, um, they are fantastic historians. Mm -hmm. um, if you read throughout, you know, not just scripture, but outside scripture, a lot of historical evidence that we have for things outside the Bible, a lot of it comes from Jewish historians. Um, one of the most important things to uh, Jewish people is their history. Um, and you see that evidence, especially throughout the Old Testament. They care a lot about history, um, specifically things like family trees and stuff like that and mm -hmm. who you're descended from. And so they documented a lot of stuff that happened, uh, and they documented it very well uh, in great detail. Uh, and so someone like Josephus, uh, like Alexander said, would have been a very highly respected and is a highly respected historian for outside um, Bible um things you know a lot of just like world history a lot of people respect and believe a lot of his writings because they're very good mm -hmm. and can be fact-checked across other sources as well and so someone like josephus um who was a jew turned roman sort of 
um, would have been viewed as a traitor, but also was still a Jew and would have not liked Jesus by any means because he was teaching what in their mind would have been false doctrine, like Mm -hmm. you said, to acknowledge the existence of Jesus, um, even though he didn't acknowledge him as the Messiah, but he did acknowledge that he did exist and that he did have quite a large following and made quite a large impact on the world is big. Um, and it would have been relatively recent after uh, Jesus had come and uh, began and did his ministry and, and uh, died and was raised and, and, and then ascended to heaven. Um, so to have something that close to the account um, and to also have something from someone who didn't even like Jesus or would not have supported Jesus, um, I think it's very big. And yeah, it's very impactful. It's huge. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> now, there is a lot of controversy surrounding Josephus. I will mention That's that as true. well. Uh, a lot of people think that not only Josephus, um, but a lot of some of the other people that we're going to write as well were a lot of his writings were changed and edited by the early Catholic Church um, mm-hmm. by specifically people like the Pope would have gone in um, and kind of changed some of his writings to fit the idea of who Jesus is. And I think that there is some validity to that. I do mm-hmm. think that there are some things that Josephus wrote that you can kind of tell don't exactly fit the rest of his writings when he, there are some accounts where Josephus talks about him being the Messiah and being God, those things we do. And most historians believe are not true, but there are also a lot of most of the things that he wrote about Jesus would have been true and are fact checked by a lot of different historians and looked at to be true. Um, so yeah, there, there is some controversy around not everything of Josephus wrote is taken to be, 100 percent, but most of it is yeah um, that's a great point that while we do have this evidence there's also people who have come through in history and edited their yeah. way trying to hopefully make it more reasonable i guess yeah. but as, as far as we i have i believe i have enough reason to believe in jesus yeah. and for who he is and yeah. you know we have more than like we're about to talk about exactly. there's more than just josephus there too, is more so. than just josephus <laughs> um so <clears throat> my next quote comes from tacitus And uh, he's talking particularly about Nero in this quote. It says, Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius, uh, Pontius Pilatus, and a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. So, again, this is not a, look, Jesus is the Messiah. This is a pretty much, these guys are disgusting and abominable. But, they he says that they have, this is the official penalty, penalty that was given on him. He was given death by Pontius Pilate and his followers are called Christians. Uh, and I, I mean, that's, that's some pretty good evidence right there. Yep. So that's a cool thing. Uh, <coughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we also have Mara Bar Seraphon. And uh, he says, what advantage did the Athenians gain from putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as a judgment for their crime. What advantage did the men of Samos gain by burning uh, Pythagoras? In a moment, their land was covered with sand. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. 
the Athenians died of hunger, the Samaeans were overwhelmed by the sea, the Jews, ruined and driven from their land, live in complete dis uh, dispersion. But Socrates did not die for good. He lived on te the teaching of Plato. Pythagoras did not die for good. He lived in the statue of Hera. Nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on in the teaching which he had given. So, again, another enemy attestation. But it talks about you know how the effects of killing these wise men and what ultimately there happened basically on the end of that. So he's clearly referencing the dispersion of the Jewish people past AD 70 with the fall of Jerusalem. So very, again, one of those interesting things here, but, uh, we also have a couple more. Well, really one more that I want to talk about. So how about you talk about Pliny, uh, Pliny's quote? Yeah. So, um, Pliny the Younger, uh, was another historian, um, and really, there's not too terribly much to add to it. But once again, right, we have another um, historian. There's also the, the Jewish Talmud as well, which um, we could mention and talk about. Um, that once again, just continued this idea of, of who Jesus was. Uh, and talk about the, the following that he gained and the impact that he made on the world. Um, once again, not necessarily recognizing him as deity, but at least recognizing that he existed, mm -hmm. acknowledging the fact that he did exist. He was a person, um, and the impact that he had was quite large. And so then that begs the question as to how could just some random good person leave such a profound and, and massive impact on the world? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's. Did you have anything else you really wanted to add? Not, not really, but like, I, well, I guess really, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, the idea that we kind of want to get through, like we're not using the Bible for this while we believe that is historical and that provides evidence for who Jesus is. We have evidence outside the Bible for who Jesus is. And when you consider the fact that he was a homeless carpenter, um, in this really like backwater part of Judea the backwater part of the Roman empire and the fact that 2000 years in the future, we have evidence about the fact that he existed and about his death. And not only that, but how he changed the world. Um, that's pretty good evidence. I'm not confident that in 2000 years, people will know about me. Maybe this podcast will be destroyed and like, you know, <laughs> maybe computer systems will fail or something like that. We just, I'm not confident that I would be known but I'm pretty confident that Jesus will be. So, yeah, I agree 100%. <laughs> um, he's, you know, one of the only people that's made it this far throughout history and has stayed pretty much the same that we can see. Most of the documents about him have stayed pretty consistent across throughout mm -hmm. history. Um, and, you know, again, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this. Um, a lot of people like to point out um, little things here and there and details here and there. Um, and if you, as a listener have heard some of those things and maybe you have those questions and you're wondering about that, this is a long conversation that we could have, mm -hmm. um, and would love to discuss with you a lot of those things, um, with you, you know, if, if you're questioning, you know, the validity of Jesus specifically throughout historical writings, there's a lot that we could, that we could talk about and a lot more that we could go through just in these non-Christian writers, um, we also have a lot of Christian writers as well um, and a lot of historical evidence from those people. Um, and we don't have a lot of reason to doubt um, what a lot of the people wrote. 
Because again, it just goes back to, you got to look at the impact that this man had on history. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do these people acknowledge that he existed, right? We can now see the impact that he had just today and the size of the church and how there's so many people in the world that identify as, as believers in Jesus and identify as Christians. And that's uh, huge. And the fact that it's stuck around this long, you know, a lot of other religions and a lot of other people tend to fizzle out after, you know, just a few years, if not, you know, a few hundred years, um, they don't continue. But the fact that this has continued for the last, you know, 2000 ish years and it's still going strong today. And like you said, we'll probably continue going just really helps kind of prove that, you know, there, there is something to this story. You know, it's not just some rando story about a rando person (laughs) that makes no sense. And, doesn't mean anything yeah um but yeah yeah and we'll we'll definitely go and talk about the impact a little bit later on but particularly if for you american canadian pretty much any christian in the west you've heard that christianity is shrinking uh and that's in the west that's true but outside of that like china africa it's growing it's growing significantly yeah (laughs) it's outgrowing the shrinkage that we're having in the west for sure so it, it just it will keep going. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so we just have to do our part, essentially. But yeah, so that's that's our little bit of an introduction to the historical evidence, and now we're going to talk about more of our favorite book. So <laughs> we'll be right back. So as we turn to scripture, we have a Jesus that is pretty inconsistent with a lot of the modern interpretations of who he is. Like, you know, we, we have the classic pictures of like the Renaissance paintings with the really white Jesus, really fair skin. And he's got like this really delicate frame and all this type of stuff. Um, and you know, that's not what Jesus looked like. He was, he looked like an average Palestinian man in this time period. Um, and, the also the interpretation that kind of goes along with the just the long hair and the softness is this free love, peace, very like I don't know that type of spirit, like a hippie Jesus hippie, type. Hippie, hippie, exactly. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> so the thing about Jesus is he's pretty different than that because as we turn to scripture and as we talk about what the the people who hung around him, how they viewed him and what they saw in him and what he taught. That's a very different interpretation than what we have in our modern day. One of the common, uh, I think, particularly when it comes to Muslims, one of the common cases they'll make against Jesus being God, which is like number one. Um, they use the the idea that where in scripture does Jesus say directly, I am God, worship me. And the reality is, if you look for exactly those words, you're not going to find them. But literally, as you go through the book of John, we see Jesus refer to himself as I am seven times. And we're going to go to one of those passages this morning and and see, like, is Jesus just claiming to be just another person or just a super nice guy or just like, you know, free love? Or is he claiming to be something beyond that? So <clears throat> over in John chapter 8. 
And starting in verse 48, uh, Charlie's going to read this for us. So John 8, beginning in verse 48. It says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you do not know Him, or you have not known Him as I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know Him, and, but I, excuse me, but I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, Are you not yet fifty years old? Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. All right. So we have this really interesting passage here. We have the Jews coming up, and they're accusing Jesus of having a demon. Like, you're talking crazy stuff. You just need, something's wrong with you. And Jesus tells them, you know, I don't have a demon. I'm actually trying to honor God. You guys aren't actually doing that. Which, he pretty blatantly calls them liars in this passage. So Jesus was not the type to hold back when there was truth to be spoken. Uh, So we see that pretty evidently about his character here. But also, we have to look at some of the claims that Jesus makes here. In verse 51, he talks about, If anyone keeps his word, they will never see death. Who can promise that beyond someone who, or unless you are beyond life, like unless you can promise something like that, how, what kind of claim would this be? I could not go up and tell people, if you believe in me, or you listen to the things I say, I'll give you life beyond, you know, this thing. That would be false. Like there's nothing I can do to help you. But Jesus is making that claim that he can, and he's not a doctor. So something interesting (laughs) going on here. Uh, and we also see in verse 54 that he knows God. Um, and it just really kind of points this relationship that he has with the Father, um, knowing that he is God as well. But, you know, he has this relationship with the Father that they do not have. Uh, verse 58, he concludes <clears throat> with saying, uh, or rather, verse 56, firstly, he says that Abraham, he kind of has this relationship with Abraham. Like, he, Abraham knows who he is. And they're like, what kind of, like, I mean, you have to be thinking like what, as they mentioned, like, you're not even 50 years old. Like, how can you know who Abraham was? And then he concludes by saying, before Abraham was, I am. So not only is he saying that he's really, really, really old, but he's also saying, uh, if you're familiar, at least a little bit with the biblical text, particularly Exodus, when God appears to Moses out of the burning bush when he, when Moses asked, like, what should I call you? He says, I am. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is calling himself God. Like he is saying, he is in, invoking the uh, 
creative name, the relational name of God that he has with Israel. And if you don't think that's the case, all you have to look is to the next verse where they are going to stone him, yep. which is the classic, yep. you just committed blasphemy, yep. we're going to kill you. Yeah, so. and I was about to say that. Like, <laughs> that's, that's really the key. Like, If you don't understand what I am means, is you have to look at the way the Pharisees reacted. Mm-hmm. It's not the first nor the last time that they react in this way. Um, and that's their charge against him when they crucify him was blasphemy that this man was claiming to be God. Um, and that's a big no-no. No. Um, in Jewish culture and that, and the punishment for that. And like they do is stoning. Um, that's, if you go back to the old Testament law, that was the punishment for that exact crime. So, yeah. uh, in their mind, the punishment fits the crime and the crime that he is committing in their eyes is claiming to be God. So, yeah. So I, and that seems pretty evidential to me that Jesus and we'll like, if you go through John, just if you haven't just take the opportunity to read John, it'll be pretty obvious in there. Uh, and you know, and it's not just in John, like we're going to read more in John Mm -hmm. too, but, um, in the other gospels as well, when he calls himself things like the son of man, different, different phrases like that are to us. Maybe, you know, if you don't know much about the old Testament, that's weird. Like like I am, that's a weird statement. Calling Mm -hmm. yourself the son of man. That's okay. That, that's weird. Yeah. Okay. Jesus was the son of a man. Sure. Whatever. But like, <laughs> if you go back to old Testament text, what he's saying in those phrases is I'm, I'm God. Mm-hmm. I'm that person that they were talking about in the old Testament that was going to come like, that is me. I am from God. I am God. For sure. Um, and so, yeah, we see him very much. So make those claims. Yeah. Well, really quickly, do you, have, what's your favorite gospel <sighs> on the spot? <laughs> Man, if I had to pick one, I mean, John's probably my personal favorite just because of the details that he put into it. But I also love Luke. I don't know why. I just like, I love Luke. It's great. Yeah. It's cool. Put some He's a historian. Stuff. So yeah, he is a historian. So, but yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to go to my favorite in a little bit. But. It's Mark. <laughs> Mark, Mark is yeah, my favorite. Yeah, that's my mom's favorite too. Yeah. That's a great one. Uh, so we're going to go really quickly over to John 11 and... One thing we wanted to introduce, start off with, is that Jesus is God. Like, that's that's very important. But just as important to his character is something that John talks about, particularly in 1 John 4, um, that God is love, and we see that Jesus is loving as well. So, John chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is a really touching story, but John 11 35 in my youthful pride was one of the most frustrating stories to me (laughs) i don't even imagine how you felt when you read that in the script yeah (laughs) but like you know even passages that i think are easy now like genesis 1 1 i'd be able to quote that as a kid and then some people like yeah i know how to quote the bible and they would drop a um a john a john 11 35 and say yeah, Jesus wept. Jesus and I just, wept. That just like, <laughs> infuriated me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more grown now, and I've come to really appreciate this passage. That, yeah. as we just talked about, that God 
comes down to the earth and when one of his friends dies he cries and people's reaction is look how he loved him and we see that just universal love and care as we read about jesus and that's one of the defining things ultimately in his crucifixion as we're about to get to but like this is what really defined jesus and what his goal and his task was on this earth was to show love to broken people who desperately needed uh, his saving grace so really impactful story uh it's like if you just take the chance i told you to read all of john but john 11 if you just want to read something today incredible uh for that anything else you have any other thoughts on john 11 no and, and you know we're about to go through some other characteristics as well but i mean it is important right that mm-hmm. uh if this man claims to be god look at how he lived his life does he fit what you would expect god to be mm. um and so that's kind of what we're trying to look at now and i think that it's important that we do see those characteristics of what we would imagine god would be like in jesus Mm -hmm. and it's one of those just cool things like god being omnipresent and like you know in in some ways he's really far off because he's perfect and all that stuff but he also shows his relational nature that he comes down and interacts with us and helps us through that he shows the the humanistic side of him especially makes him a more relatable person yeah um because of that love i love that aspect so All right, so we're also going to talk about Jesus' compassion, which is something I think is highly lacking in today's culture, and some things that even Christians need to be working consistently on about being more compassionate people, Um, and we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks for sure with some of the topics we have coming. But uh, over in my favorite gospel, the Gospel of Mark, early on, uh, or or later in chapter 1, but in chapter 1 we have this really... A cool story that Charlie's going to read for us, starting in verse 40. Mark 1, beginning in verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Mm. So, how do, how do you think... What do you think leprosy might look like? I haven't really looked up pictures of it. Yeah, I've looked at like some pictures before, um, and it's it's pretty gross. It's basically your skin just dying and falling off, like in patches. It's 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 not a it's not a pretty sight. Yeah, for sure. This guy would have looked like he was in extreme pain and wasn't extreme mm-hmm. pain, um, and that's why you know it was dealt with. Pretty cold-heartedly um, <laughs> in, in Old Testament. And that's why people, you know, that th- this disease was not looked on in a good light. Yeah. Um, if you were a leper, you were sent, you were not allowed to live with other people inside the city because you were considered what's called unclean. Um, which, if you're not too familiar with that, basically in Old Testament law, um, it was extremely important for the Jewish people to remain what's called clean. Um and so they had certain rules and certain regulations that they had to live by, certain standards that they had to live by to ensure that they were clean. And if they became unclean, they had things that they could do to once again become clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things was specifically leprosy. Um, people that had this disease were considered unclean. And if you had fellowship with the people, especially physical contact with said thing that was unclean, you were then considered unclean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The fact that, you know, 
Jesus was willing to spend time around a leper. Um, and the way that he heals him is quite fabulous, honestly. And it's really, like you said, it's compassionate, right? The mm-hmm. thing that we're talking about, Jesus was compassionate. It says that he has pity on this person. Um, you know, most people would not have had pity on this person sure. because they would have seen that, oh, you have leprosy, therefore you did something wrong. You're unclean. I can't be around you. Get out of my presence. Mm-hmm. Run, go away from me. Or they would run away from him. So, yeah. Um, yeah. For, like, uh, the example that I use is when they're ousted from society, essentially they're being quarantined because yeah. touching someone with leprosy, it's highly contagious. Yeah, you're so gonna get leprosy. chances you're going to get leprosy yeah. out of that. So, like, when I had COVID, naturally, I wasn't able to have people visit me. Um, and... That the worst part of it wasn't the fact that I was bedridden for four days. <laughs> like the worst part was that I couldn't see anybody. Yeah. I just was able to get phone calls and stuff like that, and that was about it. Um, the loneliness just about on on yeah. its own killed me. So to know how long he's been in this position, we don't. Well, we don't know how long, but perhaps it's been a while. And was never going to come out of that never. Position. Yeah, we yeah. would have spent the um, remainder of his life. In exile. A genuine miracle. Living only with other lepers. (laughs) So So, to have this situation, I just love how Jesus addresses both needs. What he needs is to be cleaned of his leprosy. That's number one. But also, physical touch. When was the last time someone just touched him? And Jesus does that. So I just love that aspect of Jesus. That he knows what we need ultimately. And that's forgiveness of sins and all the things that go along with that. But he also reaches down and just holds us in a way, just yeah. really comforts us and, and helps us through these situations. So we really see Jesus' compassion. And it's a compassion that I've, again, mentioned that's lacking in the world as a whole. Um, but Jesus shows it perfectly, and it's something that we need to be pursuing as followers of him. So. Anything else on Mark 1? No, that's, uh, I think you pretty much summed it up. All right, cool. So, last uh, thing that we want to talk about here is we talked about Jesus being God, which is very important, and then his love and his compassion, which, again, very important aspects. But one of the things that we mentioned in the intro about Jesus kind of being this free love type of person is he was not that, (laughs) he's not that type of person. Uh, He's, as a matter of fact, stricter than the Old Testament law uh, about a lot of issues. So we're going to go see him talking to this crowd over in Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, it says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. So he introduces this with the law. You shall not commit adultery. And it's like, okay. But that gave people essentially the freedom to 
okay, I'm going to stay with my wife, but I'm going to do whatever I want to, like, look yeah. at other people with this type of intent. And rather what Jesus says is comes down and sh- is strict, more strict about it, that if you even look at someone with lustful intent, you are in sin. Yeah. So this calls out everybody, like you are not escaping what happens here in Matthew 5. Uh, So to act like Jesus was just really free loving and just like, you know, just live however you want to, it totally goes against actually what Jesus did, who made the law stricter, but also brought along grace. Um, And thank God for that. Um, And how serious he gets about it is also jarring. Yeah. um, Because the idea of hell really throughout the old testament pretty non-existent until we get to jesus and then jesus talks about it is so much better for you to cut off your hand and you know than to go to hell and it's better to rip out your your eye than to go to hell because that that's how serious this is and you cannot overlook this high standard that jesus puts into his teaching he was the most loving person that has ever walked the earth, but also the most truthful person who ever walked the earth as well. So if you pursue what you want to and what you desire, rather than pursuing Jesus, it's not going to end up well for you. But if yeah. you do put away your desires and pursue him, that's mm-hmm. that's where ultimate ultimately this relationship in him is found. So it, it's, a, it's a strict, it's a high calling, but yeah. It's a worthwhile call. <laughs> well, and I think what what makes a lot of what we would think Jesus' teachings to be more strict on the law was he really gets to the the heart of the matter mm. by making it about the heart. Um, obviously, something that was misunderstood by a lot of the Jewish people, specifically with the Pharisees, is um, they would read a lot of the Old Testament um, rules and laws that were laid out before them. Um, and they would take them to be more physical or mm. the, the more physical side of it. Um, like you were saying, like, you know, as long as I don't actually commit the act of adultery physically, then I'm fine. And then I can think, you know, my thoughts are my thoughts. What I think is fine. You know, whatever I want to think is, is separate. And that's not a problem with God, but God knows our hearts and God knows our minds. And so what Jesus does, not only with this one, but a lot of what he teaches it's more about the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just about the act. It's about the mind, the things that you think about before the act, um, the things that would eventually lead to that act. That's actually important. That makes it more strict yeah. or what they would have viewed as probably more strict. So mm-hmm. not only do you have to guard against what you do physically, but now you have to guard against the things that you even think, the, the thoughts and the things that, that run through your mind, mm-hmm. the things that you want to look at and things that you want to do. Um yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think it fits exactly with, with what God would have wanted and, and God would do. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you brought up that point. I think that's what God is trying to do throughout the whole Bible is yeah. trying to change man's heart so that they desire yeah. him again. Um, and it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus who can change the desire of our heart. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that's a really excellent point that people like, they they were willing to walk as close to the line as possible. Like as long as I just don't do it, I'll be fine. And it's like that's not helpful. Like yeah. that would produce really awful marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, your wife would be second place. And he talks about even he talks about outside of this passage. He talks about anger, um, about oath making, and I mean there's a ton of passages in the Old Testament about these really just awful oaths that people yeah. make, and they're they're bound by them. So 
this is a very interesting this is this is who the real jesus is yeah um he wants he wants to change your heart he's not going to just sit there and let you do whatever you desire and whatever you want to he's going to transform you so that you will desire the fire father above all else anything else no all right cool so now we're going to talk about the most important most critical aspect but we're going to do that as we come back As Charlie mentioned at the end of the last segment, segment, <laughs> uh, what Jesus calls us to is a heart change. And we cannot make this change on our own. It requires the working of the Spirit. And ultimately, it comes down to Jesus' death, uh, the atonement for, well, on our behalf. So, the thing that constantly calls us and reminds us of what Jesus' death has done and what it continues to do is, is you know, I mean, we, we see it in a couple of different things that we practice. For instance, the Lord's Supper that I hope that if you're going to a congregation, you're taking it weekly. That's It's a reminder every week about what was done for you. And that's also what we see is talked about in baptism is it specifically being baptized into his death. So both of those things really emphasize the importance of the crucifixion. But all the time that we live our lives, it's supposed to be reminded of this is what self-sacrificing love looks like. And you're supposed to be putting your life on the line for Jesus as well. So <clears throat> there are a lot of people who, you know, even atheists, particularly like Bart Ehrman, who is one of the biggest, uh, he's, well, he's agno- he's more agnostic and uh, he's a New Testament scholar. And he even, well, he talks about the historical Jesus. He talks about uh, this, the crucifixion of Jesus, the thing that we can be most sure about. Uh, we even read it in some of our earlier historical evidences for Jesus. Uh, it talks about, you know, this is what people knew about him. He died under Pontius Pilate. So what we see here, both in the garden and in Jesus' crucifixion, is the lengths he was willing to go through for a people and a lot of people who would turn against him. So it's sad, but it's also showing the endless, just you can't find the depth of God's love. So we're going to look a little bit into Matthew's crucifixion account, which is probably my personal favorite account of the crucifixion. Um, and just going to look over a little passage over in Matthew 27. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, it says, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Galgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had him crucified, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And the two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. 
Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So, how how does this scene make you feel, Charlie? Uh, it's um, it's one of the darkest scenes I think that we see, um, especially in the New Testament, mm. really throughout the entire Bible, um, where we see this sad picture of a man being killed in a very brutal way. Mm. Um, with no remorse from any of the people that were trying to prosecute him and, and send him to this, and no remorse from the people that were actually killing him, the Romans as well. Mm. Um, from the Roman side of things, right, this was not an uncommon thing. Uh, they crucified a lot of people mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> to try to make a point um, and a statement to uh, the countries and the people that they had taken over, uh, that they meant business. But it's really just sad. Yeah. Um, and the brutality of the situation and, and seeing what Jesus had to go through and endure, not just physically, but also mentally and hearing these people say these things about him and to him while he was hanging there dying. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it, it would be embarrassing enough to die out naked, just yeah. like even by myself to die in that fashion really slowly would be awful, but to have it public yeah. and then people mocking me, and then, like, it was insulting back then. It's still insulting to have them spit on you. And, like, typically the perception of the cross was that it was, like, on this 10-foot. Like, it was like a yeah, basketball no, goal yeah. up here. The reality is it was probably way closer to the ground. Mm-hmm. Why would they re- use more lumber than that, right? Yeah. So they can get right in your face and tell you all the stupid things that you've done and yeah. all the how terrible you are and how foolish you are. Um, it is a heartbreaking sequence like it's just everything about it from the thieves the other people who were um, crucified with him uh, i think john's john's gospel where it talks about his mother and him, him trying to interact with her um i had i saw this i don't know if it's a conspiracy but the uh the stick that they would use to perhaps give him wine mm-hmm. was actually one they used to like clean out their bottom I, I heard about that because that's that's one of the ways they cleaned was using a stick that hmm. had just a little piece of something on like a sponge, a sponge thing on yeah. there. And wow, so I didn't if, know that. if that was really what was used for that, oh. that's just it's just yeah. disgusting. Like all of it is heartbreaking. Um, but what we see is also in this story is what our sin costs. And every time that we betray God, every time that we turn our backs on him, we pursue our own desires, we hurt people. All of that is borne out here by Jesus. And that's, you know, it's incredible. And just not only does he bear our sin, but he also bears our shame going out there and being naked. Um, I love the contrast of in the garden, they were naked, not ashamed. But when sin came into the world, they were then exposed for who they were cover themselves up but then when jesus suffers to redeem adam and eve and also us to this day he bears the shame openly uh, in his nakedness so there's just a lot of interesting aspects to the crucifixion and while it's a heartbreaking story it's ultimately what gives us hope about the future and actually it's not just 
the crucifixion. It has to do with his resurrection. So there's been plenty of people uh, I've, I've read. I've done a lot of research on cults and stuff like that. So I found them very fascinating. But there have been cult leaders who will convince themselves and the people, their followers, that they are genuinely God and go jump off a cliff somewhere and die. So if Jesus truly was the Messiah, if he truly wasn't just another random cult leader, there's going to have to be something really different about the way he lived his life. And we have that pretty good evidence in, uh, in his resurrection. So in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that he's not just another cult leader. Uh, we see that, you know, he's, he's going to change the world. A book I would highly recommend to you if you haven't read it. I don't know if you've read it. Dominion by Tom Holland. I have not. Not Spider-Man, Tom Holland. But it's an atheist <laughs> historian. Yeah. And he goes through and talks about how human humanity has changed since the resurrection. He doesn't believe the resurrection, but since Christianity mm-hmm. has come to the picture. And it's incredible. The idea of human rights. Like, it wasn't until Christianity took over the Roman Empire that slavery was condemned or looked down upon. That early in, in Christian history, they were mocked for their uh, exaltation of women and slaves and stuff like that. And now... If you look down on women, like, you're terrible. You're a misogynistic pig. And it's like, what what changed about human nature where we were just leaving babies out in the street? And, you know, we didn't really think that much about killing. As a matter of fact, we publicly did it and just kind of laughed and spit on people. What changed about the world in this period that makes it so different? It's Jesus' resurrection, his followers, and the way they've lived their lives. And in a lot of ways, we fail to uphold <laughs> this continually. There's a lot of ways we have failed to um, uphold the call that Jesus called us to. But the resurrection changed everything, not just about for Charlie and I and all Christians around the world, but it changed it, um, the world as a whole. So very powerful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we see through Jesus's death, you know, before the resurrection is just what this man was willing to go through, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to, to prove that he was who he said that he was, he was willing to go all the way to the cross and die in a very brutal way. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, a lot of different people throughout history have made great claims about themselves and things and have been willing to die. Um, but usually with their death also comes the end of their cult. Um, in a lot of those situations, when the leader is killed off for some reason or another, whether it's by choice or by some other outside means, the cult and the following usually stops and ends there as well. But we don't see that. Uh, and that's one of the actual cases that we have that, that can prove the resurrection is the fact that um, Jesus' death was very much not the end of Christianity, but it was the only the beginning mm-hmm. and the explosion that happens of Christianity after his death and resurrection. And, and that's the thing. Like this man died and all of a sudden this thing becomes the largest religion in the world and still is to this day. You know, how does that happen if there's not some some greater thing that occurred after that to then push this boom? And so what we believe about that is that it is, in fact, the resurrection that did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so that change is just so dramatic in the world, in the people. Like, and that's what I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 and talk about Paul, who was an enemy of Christ to this point. There has to be, if he's dead in the ground, you're going to have to find a really weird explanation for why this dude who just 
laughs at the killing of Christians now becomes a Christian yeah. and goes to his deathbed for it. Like there's, you're going to have to find a pretty amazing explanation for that. So what we see over in 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's proclamation of the gospel. And I particularly love later in this chapter where he talks about like, if the resurrection is untrue, like the Christian faith is worthless people died in their sins they're not there's we've misrepresented god all this type of stuff so when someone says you know what would turn you away from christianity you should make it very clear that there is a reason that if jesus is not raised um we're we're living a joke we're telling a lie that's what paul says but he comes back right after that we have confidence we know this to be true and we we take that same confidence we we don't have eye, we're not eyewitnesses, but we take it on faith. So, but at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, we see the gospel. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. The heart of the Christian faith, the most important doctrine you have to know and believe, is that you're sinful and broken, which is a hard pill to swallow. We don't like thinking about that. We like thinking we're good and righteous, but Jesus came the right time to die for us as sinners he was buried then he was resurrected which is the most miraculous part of the story if he dies it's like okay well everyone dies but to be resurrected very rare highly highly rare um but then uh he raises from the dead and he preaches to not just his close friends but also these 500 people to james his brother who was a skeptic before and then to paul and now this message continues on and we are again not witnesses but we have faith in in what their testimony is so it's a powerful message about the brokenness but also the life that we have through christ uh when we trust and we believe in him so yeah i I really like first corinthians 15 anything else you have to say no it's incredibly good um and it and it's what gives us the motivation behind like you said why why we do what we do Mm -hmm. why we're sitting here right now recording this podcast is because we wouldn't say this. We wouldn't endorse it if we didn't fully believe it with our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe you're listening and, you know, you have a lot of questions about this and maybe you're doubting Jesus, you know, feel free to reach out to us and um, we'd love to talk with you and study with you for sure. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about that we didn't. Um, this conversation could go on for a long time. We actually just had a class on this particular subject Um uh, here at Northwood uh, over the last uh, a few months ago, we just finished it up and it was uh, a long class. Mm-hmm. And even then we just kind of scratched the surface of all of these things. 
Um, but, you know, I hope what we can get out of this is that, you know, first of all, Jesus, Jesus did exist, right? Mm-hmm. He did come. He was a man. He was real. He was killed. Um, and we see the massive impact that that had on not just you and I, but the entire world and how history was changed forever because of it. And so that is why we believe the things that he says are true, mm-hmm. that he is God, that he was and is still God, um, and that he died and was raised for us. Um so then I, I do have a question for you. All right, let's go. go. Yeah. You, what What would you then think is probably the reason or the source of why there is so many different ideas of who Jesus is? Why Why people tend to try to come up with different ideas about what Jesus was or mm. the fact that he didn't exist? I usually, I think my perspective on this is we want jesus to be on our side yeah because jesus is even if you don't take him as messiah he's pretty dope like he's a cool guy (laughs) so it's nice that if i vote this particular way or i have this particular opinion or all this type of stuff if jesus falls into my camp on that that's really nice right and in that way he becomes manipulated in that type of thing because he tries to fit our perception when the reality is Jesus breaks every perception. Right. So. That's exactly right. No, I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the fact that we we like to try to find ways to fit Jesus into what we believe and what we think about what he should be mm-hmm. versus what he actually was. Right. And, and there's two extremes to it, right? There's the there's the camp that first off believed that he's he wasn't a good person, he's a terrible person, or that he didn't exist to begin with. But then there's the al- alternate side of that where it's like we kind of talked about this, you know, all he was is do whatever you want, believe whatever you want to believe. You know, I'm going to love you no matter what, which is true. It's true. He is going to love you no matter what. Um, Jesus loves you no matter what situation you're in. But we can also take it to the point where that means that we can live however we want. And no matter what, we can still be saved as long as we believe in Jesus. Uh, I think that's the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where mm-hmm. we can take that a bit too far. And so what we have to do is... And what I would encourage all of you all to do is read through the Gospels yourself. Mm-hmm. Read through those accounts of Jesus and, and read how he actually lived his life. Um, read the things that he actually taught and the things that he actually said. And I think what you're going to find is a nice balance between those two things. Is, mm-hmm. Yes, he loves you no matter what and is willing to give his life for you. And his grace will cover um, you no matter what. Um, but, you know, there is some boundaries to that as well. There is some harshness to some of the words that he mm-hmm. teaches as well. There are our rules and things that he gives us to follow. And if we don't and we reject those things, there is some level of punishment for, for sure. that as well. Like you said, he talks about hell and it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty sight, but it is there and he does mention it. And so you have to find that balance and you have to understand, you know, Jesus isn't all evil or not evil. Jesus isn't all harsh and bad, but Jesus isn't also all rainbows and sunshine like for sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> you have to take him as he, as he as is. He is. Yeah. yeah. So he, again, he just, he breaks what our preconceived notion of who he is, is all the time. So, yeah. But yeah. I, I think Charlie wrapped it up really, really well. <laughs> this, this combination of who Jesus is, both his love, but also if you read Matthew 23, he's a pretty harsh guy sometimes and we need to hear that. So it's pretty great, but Thank you for having a conversation with us, Charlie. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, Hopefully, so. we'll be on for a little while longer. For sure. <laughs> for a little bit <laughs> But yeah. thank you all for listening. For sure. 
Uh, we have a couple of things that are coming down that we are really excited to talk through and probably things that will challenge you a bit. So it will challenge us. For yeah. Sure. And also, also, so <laughs> very excited for that, but we are also really thankful for y'all listening. Uh, we have over a hundred views. So that's, or Woo. listens and, or views and listens YouTube and stuff. So really thankful for you guys. Uh, we hope that you'll keep listening. And, and if you have any suggestions, hit us up. Let us know. Yeah. If you have anything <laughs> you want us to talk about, like we said it before, let us know for sure. All right, guys. We're very thankful yet again, and we will see you 